Last week, we looked at the, the topic of suffering, and we looked about the fact that from time to time, we're all in that same boat as the disciples, and, and we, we sometimes cry out, Lord, don't you care, don't you care that we're drowning? That was a timely message last week. I didn't know my good friend was going to die last week. Didn't know a lot of things that happened this last year that happened. Maybe you've struggled. Maybe we're in the same boat. I want to begin this year, though, on looking at something a little bit different. I don't want to get into that emotional stuff. (laughs) Today, I want to basically talk to the men that are present. Now, Pastor John, we talked about that, and we said, okay, we're just going to offend all the women right off the bat, okay? The reason I want to talk to the men, it's not because what I have to say doesn't apply to you women. In fact, it's exactly the same thing. It doesn't really matter. But I want to talk to the men. I want to challenge the men this morning. Pastor Chad said that he wanted to start the new year off on the theme of prayer. And prayer is something that I get excited about. And, and so when he asked, I'm, by the way, I'm just filling in for just the two Sundays. He hasn't left, okay? Uh, for most of my life, I did very little praying. That would include many years when I was pastoring in churches. And there were a lot of reasons or excuses, I guess, if you would. None of them, of course, good. And then I got to the point where I, I really asked myself, why don't I want to pray? Because we do the things we want to do, and I wasn't praying, so obviously I didn't want to. Why didn't I want to? Was it that I, I believed that prayer didn't do anything? Is, is that why I didn't pray? Or, or, or was it that I get bored really easily and, and I found prayer boring? One reason that kept coming up was that I think I thought that prayer was not a very manly thing to do, okay? Most of the people that came out to prayer meeting at church, remember back when churches used to have prayer meetings, Wednesday night, yeah? Most of the people that came out for prayer meeting were women. Bless their hearts, okay? Very seldom did I ever hear a man talk about his prayer life. 
What I, what I needed was, was a male prayer hero that I could look up to, someone who was doing manly prayer, okay? And one day I found him. I found my prayer hero. And, and his name is Epaphras. Now, it's not a name that you hear much about today. In fact, you have to go to the Bible, so let's go to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. We read this. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Today I want to look at this Epaphras and why he became my prayer hero. I want us to look at, at who is Epaphras, what did Epaphras do, how did he do it, and we'll spend the bulk of our time there today. And then why did he do it? So we're going to look at the who, what, how, and why this morning. First of all, who was Epaphras? Well, it says here in this passage that he is one of you. Now you have to understand, Paul is writing to the church there at Colossae from Rome. And this Epaphras guy was from Colossae. He had traveled to Rome to be with the Apostle Paul. Now, in all likelihood, he carried a letter with him from the church at Colossae, uh, or at least gave a good oral report to Paul as to what was going on, what were some of the problems, some of the issues going on in their church, because Paul is going to address them in this letter to the church at Colossae, which we call the book of Colossians. Now, evidently, Epaphras did not carry Paul's letter back to Colossae. Paul sent it by somebody else because Paul says that he sends greetings from Epaphras to his home church back in Colossae. So he sends his greetings back to the church there. Now, that's who he was. Number two, what did he do? Well, it says in verse 13, hopefully you got your Bibles turned up there because it's not on the screen right now, okay? Verse 13 says that while he was with Paul in Rome, that he worked hard for the believers at Colossae. Now, hold a minute. Think about this a little bit, okay? Epaphras is not in Colossae. He's in Rome. But while he is in Rome, he is working hard for the believers at Colossae. Even though he's not there, he's working hard on their behalf. Another translation says that he worked with great zeal. So even though he was not present with the people there, Yet he, what he did for them, for the Colossians, he did with great passion and fervor. 
we're not talking about a recreational activity here. Uh, We're not talking about a passive pastime that he engaged in for the Colossians while he was at Rome. This is a blood, sweat, and tears kind of activity. This is serious business. What he did for the Colossians was work, it was labor, it was intensive, even though he was not back there with them. Well, how did he do it? Here's what I want us to look at today for the most part of our message. How did he do it? It says in verse 12 that he always is wrestling in prayer for you. Here we get to the manly stuff, okay? We're going to talk wrestling. All right, men? Wrestling. The word wrestling here means to contend with an adversary, to fight, to struggle with difficulties and dangers. Again, manly stuff, danger here. He's involved in something dangerous. He's contending with an adversary. He's fighting. He's struggling. So we have to ask ourselves the question, well, you know, what's the danger? Who who is this adversary? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. I'm sure you're familiar with this passage. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Paul says, when we fight, we're not, we're not wrestling. Did you notice the word wrestle there? Okay. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against people. But rather, we are do, we're wrestling, we're doing battle against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. I believe that the material, physical world that we live in is often controlled by the invisible, immaterial, spiritual world what's going on there around us. And if we want to affect the material world, we have to get involved in that spiritual world. And that is what Epaphras was doing. He was engaged in spiritual warfare against Satan. Now, again, you're probably all familiar with the concept of the, the, the armor of God. If we continue down in Ephesians chapter 6, down verse 13, he says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which with you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is 
the Word of God. Now, I can remember on several different occasions in different churches, I preached on this section of Scripture from Ephesians, and usually when I preached through Ephesians, it was like a three-year type of a venture into the Word of God. And so we would break this down, and we would talk about each and every aspect of the armor. Sometimes to the point, I think we missed the whole, the whole message, the whole point of what he was talking about. He's talking about wrestling in spiritual warfare and the preparation that we do ahead of time. No Roman soldier ever went out to battle and as he's approaching the enemy, started to put on his armor. Now, he had the armor on before he went to battle. And so it's really talking about the preparation, what we do before we engage in spiritual warfare. I remember being told that most of the armor is defensive in nature. In other words, that they are to deflect the attacks of Satan in our life, especially the shield of faith. And I remember that I was told there's one piece of armor that, is, that we use for the offensive, and that is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I remember being told that our Bible is the one word or, or the one weapon that we use to attack Satan. But then I read a verse that puzzled me. You ever do that? You get your theology all set in your mind and you know what you believe and then you read a verse of scripture and it just kind of messes it all up, you know? Then you got to go back to the drawing board again. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. 2 Corinthians 10, 4. Second Corinthians 10.4, we read this. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Do you see what bothered me there? See what confused me? It's not the word weapon there, is it? It's weapons. Plural. Hmm. Okay, it's more than one weapon. I got to thinking, well, I only know of one weapon. It's, it's, the, it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That, that is, is our weapon. And it took me a while to put 2 Corinthians 10, 4 together with Colossians and Epaphroditus because it says Epaphroditus wrestled earnestly against the enemy in prayer. I think we got two weapons that are mentioned here now. Number one is the word of God, and number two is prayer. And it's not either or. They go together. Now, I'm sure most of you know that the original writings of Scripture, there were no verse or paragraph or chapter divisions. It was just, it was like Paul's epistles, they were letters. 
When you write letters, I'm sure you don't divide it up into chapters and paragraphs and verses or, or whatever. And, you know, Paul didn't do that either. Man, by the way, man added that just so it would be easier for us to find our way around in our Bible. You know, if we had to, uh, to say, okay, and turn to the book of Ephesians and go about three-quarters of the way through and, and maybe the sixth line down, you know, is where we're going to be reading from today. You know, it would be hard to find out uh, what was going on. But, mo- but there are times when the arbitrary verse or paragraph break makes no sense. Sometimes it really distracts, I think, from the understanding of what's being said. And I think the break between Ephesians 6.17 and 6.18 is one of those times where, where the break is not good. In fact, if they'd asked me, I would have told them, don't put a break there. You know, run it, run it all together. But then I'd be a couple thousand years old too. Okay. Go back to Ephesians 6.17 and 18. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and request. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. A lot of times when people preach, pastors, we we preach on putting on the armor of God, we, we just skip verse 18 and we end it with, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And, and we don't complete the thought. The thought is, okay, now having prepared to do spiritual warfare, let's go out and do it. How do we do it? Pray in the Spirit on all occasion with all kinds of prayer and request. It's being prepared having the sword of the Spirit, having the shield of faith, now we go out in spiritual warfare and we pray. In fact, I believe Ephesians 6.18 lists three weapons. All three weapons. God loves the number three. I don't know if you ever figured that out. He's the Trinity and and all of that. There's three weapons mentioned here. Number one, the word of God. Okay, that's the truth. Number two is prayer. I believe that's the method of attack. All kinds of prayer and request. The third weapon that we have is the Holy Spirit. We cannot do battle in our flesh. We cannot do battle on our own. We must be, do battle with the Holy Spirit. He's the instigator and the power It says very clearly, pray in the spirit. The word in means in the sphere of. Allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and direct and instigate our prayers. Praying the word of God. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want us to look at what these three weapons do in spiritual warfare. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments 
and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captivity every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So how, how does this work? How does prayer, the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit, what, what does it do? How does it accomplish this spiritual warfare? Well, it says, first of all, because the Holy Spirit is involved, it has divine power to demolish strongholds. So praying, led, empowered by the Holy Spirit, it demolishes strongholds. Now, what are these strongholds? These strongholds are arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against the truth, the knowledge that comes from God, the knowledge that belongs to God. These weapons then enable us to take captivity every thought to become obedient to Christ. What does the truth do? The Bible says, the truth shall set you free. Free from what? Free from whom? Well, obviously, you have the truth on one side. What's the opposite of truth? Deceit? Lie? Okay. Satan wants to deceive us with every argument and pretension that sets itself off against the truth that God has. He wants us to believe his lies. The thing that fights off the lie is the truth. Our prayers can have divine power. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. Men, here we go, power, okay? Another good, good manly word, okay? Power, we can have divine power. Our prayers can destroy Satan's lies that have become strongholds of deceit against the truth. And those lies come from Satan. Last night, Karen and I went and watched the latest Star Wars movie. And I couldn't help but thinking what I'm talking about today is, men, we can become Jedi Knights, okay? In the battle against evil, okay? The Jedi Knights, they had the power. They had the force. We've got the Holy Spirit, men and women, okay? We can become the soldier. The, the band of brothers, if you would. And this is what Epaphras did. Even though he was not in Colossae at the time, yet he, he very actively fought against the lies of Satan in prayer for the people back in his home church there. But we got one more question we have to ask this morning. We know what he did. We know how he did it. We know who he was. But now we need to ask our question, why did he do that? Why did Epaphras pray for the believers in Christ? I am a very results-oriented person. I think I've told you this before. When my wife and I go shopping, my goal is to get in the store 
find the item, and out in less than three minutes. Okay. <laughs> Paul, you're with me there. Yeah. Okay. God in his infinite wisdom has declared that opposites shall attract, attract each other. My wife is a very process-oriented person. She enjoys the process of shopping. And I think she would tell you, and we've talked about this, that Karen and I have over 100 ways we are totally opposite that we've written down, okay? That even if she finds exactly what she wants the moment she walks in the door, she will still not buy it. She will go around to all the other stores and look, you know, and, there, and then she'll come back three hours later and she will purchase that thing that she saw. <laughs> I'm results-oriented. I want to see results. I do not like to go through the process of, of things, which, which is really bad because the whole Christian life is a process. And I want instant results. You know, I want to be godly. I want to be spiritual. I, you know, I want, to be a, I want to be a general. I don't want to be a private, you know. So I want to know what are the results of Epaphras praying. So let's go back to Ephesians 4.12. There's three results that are listed here. And you know, I think if I really believed this, I would do a whole lot more praying. Okay? If I really believed it, and, and part of my struggle is really believing it, I guess. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. The word that there introduces the purpose clause. It answers the question, Why? And there are three results that are listed here. Number one, that they would stand firm in all the will of God. Number two, that they would be spiritually mature. And number three, that they would have full assurance. So, so let's break them down. First of all, standing firm in all the will of God. Standing firm in all the will. This is talking about full obedience to the will of God. This is talking full surrender to the will of God in somebody's life. Epaphras wrestled earnestly in prayer for his home church, for the people at Colossae, that they would be fully obedient to the will of God. See, when Christians believe the lies of Satan, they will become disobedient to the will of God. See, we always act on the basis of the knowledge that we have. Every decision we make, we, we, we make that decision based upon some knowledge. If our decision is to be disobedient to God, what is the knowledge that we have that we're acting upon? It's the lie of Satan. Preachers are notorious, and I can say that because I'm one of them. Preachers are notorious for getting the heart 
the heart, yeah. The horse before the cart. Mm, thank you. We, we will harp about obedience over and over again. You've got to obey the word of God. You've got to submit to God. Okay. That's the fruit. The root is what we know, what it is that we believe. If we believe the lies of Satan, then we're going to be disobedient to the will of God. In fact, disobeying God is really a sign of believing Satan's lies. Spirit-led praying of the word of God can tear down those strongholds of Satan, resulting in believers standing firm in all the will of God. The second thing, the second result is spiritual maturity. What is spiritual maturity? We talk about maturity, spiritual maturity. What does it mean to be a, a spiritual believer or as opposed to maybe a carnal believer or whatever? And, and basically, what, as I understand it, it comes down to this. Spiritual maturity is seeing life from God's perspective. Spiritual maturity is seeing life from God's perspective. In the battle of the flesh versus the spirit, the flesh sees everything from a human perspective. And that's why the flesh wins. <clears throat> Believing the lies of Satan will always result in our seeing everything from the human or fleshly perspective. When we're believing Satan's lies, then we, we do not see things from a divine perspective. Rather, we see it from a human perspective, a fleshly perspective. And so, spirit-led praying the word of God tears down those strongholds of Satan, which then can result in believers growing into spiritual maturity, seeing life from God's perspective. And then the third thing here, third result of Epaphras praying for the believers at Colossae was what he calls full assurance. Full assurance. I want to go back to a verse we looked at last week. A couple verses. Romans chapter 4 verses 20 and 21. Remember I, I told you last week, hopefully if you remember last week, you were here last week, uh, we talked about, uh, I, I said that I felt the best description of faith, not definition, but the best description of faith in the Bible is found over here in Romans chapter 4, 20 through 21. It's talking about Abraham. <clears throat> and it says, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. When I look at the word full assurance, I associate that with being fully persuaded. And faith is being fully persuaded that God can and will keep his promises. So when it's talking about full assurance, what I see it saying here is full faith. Faith is being fully persuaded. It's that full assurance. 
So the third result of Epaphras' prayer was a growing faith on the part of those for whom he prayed. So spirit-led praying the word of God tears down those strongholds of Satan, resulting in a growing faith. Now Epaphras is my prayer hero. Okay. Uh, Epaphras taught me that prayer can endow me and the people I pray for with, with divine power. Now, folks, we either believe this or we don't. If we don't believe it, then it doesn't belong in the Word. If it doesn't belong in the Word, then we need to throw our Bibles away. Okay? We need to believe this. Epaphras taught me that prayer can give me and the people I pray for victory over Satan's lies. Epaphras taught me that prayer can result in a growing faith, spiritual maturity, obedience to the will of God, both for me and the people I pray for. And Epaphras taught me that prayer is not for wimps. Now, some of you might be a little frustrated right now because I'm going to end the sermon. You say, why would I be frustrated because you're ending the sermon? Okay? Frustrated because I'm not going to tell you how to do this. I haven't told you what it looks like, and I haven't told you how to do it. All I've said is, here is a potential for men and women of God to be effective soldiers in spiritual warfare against Satan. Now, why am I not going to tell you how to do it? Because... In my experience pastoring, what I have found out that this cannot be taught, it has to be caught. Okay? If you want to know how to do this, let's get together. Okay? I can't do it on a Sunday morning because I, if I just tell you how, then it's just more information. It has to be done. So it's, it, it's, this isn't the place and this isn't the time. You know, maybe a, a prayer retreat or, or whatever. But I want you to think about it. I want you to think about what I presented today. And, <clears throat> and women, I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to put you in here now. Okay. <clears throat> if you'd really like to know more about this, <clears throat> if you would really... If you're convinced that there is a thing of spiritual warfare and somehow the word of God's involved and prayers of God and, and, and we've got to be led by the Spirit and, and what all that means, then I want you to pray about it. Maybe over the next couple weeks, get in touch with me or Pastor John or Pastor Chad or the board members of the church. Say, you know, I, I want to get involved in that. I, that that sounds exciting. And men, okay, th this, this, is, this is manly stuff, okay? This is stuff that uh, I think will bring satisfaction to our life. We, we are that involved in this spiritual warfare that's going on around the world, the world that God has called us to. Let's pray. <clears throat> I'm going to give you a moment just to talk to the Lord.
in response to what you've heard today, and then I'll close in prayer. Father, I'm excited about this series that Pastor Chad is going to do starting next week, looking at the topic of prayer. And Father, I am convinced that prayer is more than a list of people and things that we just rotely pray for. It's, it's more than us telling you what we want you to do. But, Father, that there is a huge spiritual dynamic to it. And the results of prayer can be eternal. It can make a huge impact upon the lives of both believers and unbelievers. And as Epaphras prayed for his home church at Colossae, Father, I pray for my home church right here. Father, I want to see the same things happening in our church. I want us to be spiritually mature, complete, having full assurance, full faith in you, Lord. And Father, those things take us to the front lines. And I pray, Lord, that you would put upon the hearts of individuals the desire to be prayer warriors, something we don't hear much about anymore, but something that has driven the church for 2,000 years, men and women like Epaphras, who will wrestle earnestly, fervently, labor, struggle for other believers in prayer. Thank you for your word. I pray in Christ's name, amen.